Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. I'm here in the studio with Joey Tartell. Welcome. And uh, let's talk trumpet. Yeah. It's a great way to start. Sure. Cool. Absolutely. So, Joey, you're here at an Indiana University. How many years have you been here now? This is year 16. I no started way. here in the fall of 2003. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And community service is not up yet, right? Not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us about your current role here at University, uh, Indiana University. I almost said University of Indianapolis, you, and I will edit that out. Not okay. Yeah, not okay. no Greyhounds. We're the Hoosiers. <laughs> uh, my job here, as of this fall, I'm a uh, full professor of trumpet, um, and I'm also the director of undergraduate studies. So my job here is teaching undergraduate and graduate trumpet majors, uh, and then uh, running the undergraduate office as well. What does that mean, running the undergraduate office? That office is uh, it's the office that as soon as the student says yes, that I'm coming to IU, then we, we uh, in the undergraduate office, get in contact with them to sign them up meet them on their way in the door, sign them up for their classes, uh, maintain their records all the way through their uh, undergraduate, and then uh, get them ready, make sure they're ready to graduate. It's as short as I can put it. Kind of monitor their, from the way into the way out and keep them on track. That's the job. So not an actual advisor. You'll the set advisor them up with the an advisor? Is, and... is in my office, yes. Okay. So we have an advisor. It's, a, it's only four people. It's me, uh, an advisor who is responsible for all 750 undergrads. So that was my next question. This is not just tr- a trumpet or brass. No. This is all incoming music? This is for the entire Jacobs School of Music. That's wow. correct. So we got, yeah, we have an advisor. We've got a recorder who maintains all the records. And then we have an administrative assistant who's basically our front desk person. You walk in to ask questions. You call. You email. That's our gatekeeper. What drew you into that position? Well, as you know, I'm kind of a nosy guy. I like knowing what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it had come open before, and I'd looked at that as, well, I like teaching trumpet. I would still be doing that, but I'd have more involvement in what's going on in the School of Music. And uh, I didn't get it that time. And then four years later, it came open again, and it worked out much better for me. So it gives me both the teaching trumpet part, but also a bigger say as being a part of the administration of the School of Music. One, knowing what's going on, but also having the representation of for the School of Music across campus, but... Uh, 
also representing sometimes performance faculty in the administration, which mm. often doesn't exist. The people who do what I do just teach private lessons uh, are not often interested in the administrative side, so mm -hmm. sometimes uh, aren't thought of, even though there's more of us than anyone else. The responsibilities alone just of the applied mm -hmm. teaching trumpet lessons on a regular basis and maybe coaching some small ensemble. Right. sure. That's one thing. But then to add this job that you're talking about, how in the world do you manage? Well, it does uh, shrink my load a little bit. You know, a full load here uh, for teaching trumpets, 18 students. So it, I was told, listen, this is generally thought of to be half, so you might want to get down closer to nine, which I haven't managed to do yet. Because, mm -hmm. you know, there's always room for another trumpet student on there. Exactly. So I've got, this year, I've got 13 uh, students. So instead of 18, I've got 13, which allows me the flexibility and time and schedule. To and do some graduate students in your studio? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I've got uh, got two doctoral students that haven't finished coursework yet, a couple more that are still finishing up, one master's student, the rest are undergrads right mm -hmm. now. That's my breakup. You think you'll uh, hang on to this position for a while? I think so. I like it. Unless, yeah, it's a uh, good fit. I think it's a good fit. Uh, I have a five-year appointment, and then the school gets to evaluate me. Mm -hmm. So they'll let me know if they think it's a good fit as you well. You know, it's interesting you say five years, because I think in order to really affect any kind of change or to notice any kind of relevance to what you can offer, you, you can't, it can't be a one-year appointment. Right. You can't realize that uh, anything right. within a year. There's no baseline. There's no way to evaluate. So Yeah, especially when you're talking about undergrads. I think about this with sports, as I'm a huge mm -hmm. sports fan. You get a new coach, you have to give him five years because mm -hmm. then they're all his players. Mm -hmm. Enough turnover. Right. So that, sure. Speaking of turnover, and we don't have to get too much into this, yeah. uh, this is kind of unusual. You, Ed Cord, and John Rommel have been the uh, amazing trumpet trio here at Indiana University for quite some time. That's right. John and Ed hired me, yes. And Ed is retiring. That's, yes, You're we're also in the middle now, of that search right now. That's the next question. How yes. is that going? And, and I know it's, you realize... It's going really well. You we can't had, reveal too much. We had a lot of uh, really qualified applicants. I, I think the hardest thing we had to do so far was cut down to a short list because there were... I don't think we could interview everyone that was qualified. Like, just going through that and making that cut was a, a difficult one. So we have three finalists set up to come in before Christmas. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, we're trying to do it this semester so that we hopefully, we'd love to have somebody hired before our audition starts. I was going to say, for recruiting purposes, exactly. we can you let have students know so-and-so will be teaching here right. in the fall of 19. Right. And the great part is our, our brass department here, I've been working here like since 2003, has consistently stayed very easy to work with. We get mm -hmm. into a room, we can have real discussions, we don't always have to agree on everything, mm -hmm. but it, it always works out really well. We work really well together. Well, and such great diversity in playing and in teaching styles. Mm -hmm. uh, I've worked with all three of you guys in various situations. Right. Uh, I've actually taken lessons from all three of you, <laughs> um, and two of you I like tremendously, and I'm not going <laughs> to say which two. It might be you that's left out, Joey. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I'm saying that all in fun, of yeah. course. Uh, but it really is, uh, I think it's exciting uh, probably for you to think about the possibilities of who can come in and then what Absolutely. can happen to the trumpet studio across the board. Absolutely. It, yeah. is, it is very exciting. Ed's been here, I think he told me this is his 30th year, and he's ready now. That's So, uh, but... It's been great working with John and Ed. My one worry in coming here is, 
as trumpet players and as trumpet teachers, most places have one trumpet teacher, then you're the person who does that. And trumpet players stereotypically can have strong personalities. And I didn't know John <laughs> or Ed. I didn't know either of them before getting this job. So, of course, I wanted the job. Of course, it's a great place to work. Of course, as a history of a, not just a great music school, but a great trumpet school. Mm-hmm. But my, one of my worries in the back of my head is, oh, my gosh, there are two other trumpet teachers. Is this going to be okay? And it's been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both terrific colleagues that I've enjoyed working with quite a bit. So I know how good it can be, and I know that that effort is to be that good. And the people we have coming in, I don't have any doubt any, any of them mm-hmm. are going to be great additions. Yeah, so it's it interesting exciting. that you, you mentioned how few schools really have this large and diverse of trumpet faculty. But, of course, this past year with the appointment at North Texas with Raquel Rodriguez or Rachel. Rachel, yeah. Well, even though and she'll Caleb. say it's, you know, it's really Raquel. But, yeah. and, and Caleb Hudson. Right. And uh, there's already still someone there. And John Holt's still there. Right, right, right. At He's that been school. There um, but what an opportunity even for them to have such young faculty right. come in. And uh, who and knows what that's... they have two more searches going on right now for jazz trumpet and jazz trumpet with a lead wow. emphasis. Wow. So they're, they're, in a, they're in a big turnover right now. So, you know, North Texas and Indiana both have legacies when it comes to trumpet studios. Right. Uh, Bill Adam. Mm-hmm. Charlie Gorham. Right. Joey Tartell, John Rommel, Ed Cord, of course. <laughs> well, I mean, those are some huge shoes to not just fill them, but to make sure they stay filled for a long time. Because those are the things, I think, that help not only put uh, the school on a map, but to keep them on a map. And, you know, you think back, you think back to uh, uh, the time when Bill Adam was here and the number of people that came out of that studio, went to the West Coast, mm-hmm. ended up in recording studios and doing everything that they've been doing all these years. That, I think, was a huge feather in IU's cap. Oh, absolutely. Right. We just did, uh, was that? I don't know what month it is. It's November. So last month, well, we just had a, a lot of Mr. Adams' former students wanted to get together and recognize him in some way. Mm-hmm. And they uh, got together, and there's now a plaque outside of the door where it's oh, studio. Nice. So there was a ceremony here, and a lot of these guys came back. Oh, very cool. So it was, it was a cool morning to get to see... Yeah. Jerry Hay, Larry Hall, Charlie Davis—they yeah. were here, and a lot of yeah. other, a lot of people came back. And Larry Hall's from Indianapolis, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I talked to him—I uh, don't know—six months or so ago, uh, trying to get him to come to my conference. He's like, "I don't do master classes." <laughs> oh, he goes, "No, I don't want to play." I said, "I don't want you to play. I want you to come and talk. I want you to do a master class. I want you to come and talk, and tell what yeah. it's like to be on there." He goes, eh, "I might consider that." Oh yeah, he's—he's. Uh, he's, I've met him a few times, and he's been nothing but charming and mm-hmm. delightful. And just uh, before that, uh, as you know, Charlie Gorm just passed away this mm-hmm. year, and there, there, were, there was a concert here. We did a brass choir concert mm-hmm. Ed, put, Ed put together with, with uh, Charlie's son and family to, oh, celebrate, nice. to celebrate nice his legacy as well, yeah. which was uh, a lot of people stood up and, and, and chatted and gave their memories. And uh, Charlie Schluter came in, Dave Monette came in. Wow. They both, they both talked about it. Wow. Uh, so it was, it, those guys, they were here for a long time, and they did amazing work but I don't worry I don't worry about that part because um, otherwise it'd just be too daunting to ever walk in the oh, door well, sure sure because I think what really does it as uh, what really does it is great students you know mm. students go out and where did you go you went to IU mm-hmm. so when I see that I've been here what 50, 16 years and I see I do have students out doing stuff I'm mm-hmm. like okay I must be doing okay I would think so, so. you know and it's not just 
You say this, the students that come out of here, and I've worked with a lot of students that have come through this program, and not just from your studio, sure. but with the other two as well. And not only, not only are they great musicians, but they're really nice people. Well, I hope so. So, okay. you know, but I look at that even from a recruiting process. You're not going to take just anybody. You've got to find somebody, I think, that you think is going to do the right thing when it's time to get that job. Sure, and that's not always the easiest to mm -hmm. see. But, yeah, we are looking, and we know about a 1,000. We are looking for the right fit. I did have a student, and if he's listening, he'll know who he is, <laughs> who came in in his junior year and and was really upset that none of the jazz band sections that he had ever been in ever really got along. And my question to his was, him was, well, what do they all have in common? And he was not <laughs> happy with that question. <laughs> and we had a real discussion about how to work with other people. Wow. You know, because that is part of it. Yeah. Sure. And, and that's part of, that's the good part of having three studios mm -hmm. here is that John, Ed, and I are different. We're different players and we are different mm -hmm. teachers as much overlap as does happen. Is that you and you'll, you're sitting next to that person in band, orchestra, and jazz band sure. from a different studio that's getting different instruction and different stuff. And you mm -hmm. should learn how to work well with those people while you're an undergrad or a graduate student because when you go out and are working wherever you are working in right. whatever situation, it's unlikely that the person you're sitting next to has the same background you do. Oh, I can't imagine it. I mean, right. unless you're twins, right, and just follow each other the entire way through. Right. I don't know that could ever be yeah. identical. Let's talk about those 16 years here. Okay. If you can look back at year one and your teaching methods, your ideology, and now, what would be observable as things that have changed or evolved or you, things you've adapted? That's a good one. I think on the way in, I work from, as a Trevor teacher, I'm a bit of a, I, I start from an mm -hmm. idealistic standpoint. I'm not trying to be good enough for a gig. I'm trying to be as good as I can possibly get. Mm -hmm. And I want to bring that to the students as well. So that part's remained constant as, okay, ev almost everybody's first lesson with me is very similar of, okay, when you graduate, you get to pick any gig you want. What is that gig? Mm -hmm. To see where they're, where they're looking at that time. Not that that can't change. Sure. But just the idea of what do they want to do so I can at least get them going in that direction. So I think that part I've gotten much better at mm -hmm. as far as recognizing what specific students want on the way in the door and recognizing what's really necessary. Because having been here a while, you can see the strengths and weaknesses of what people bring in so that you can really start going after those weaknesses quickly mm -hmm. and not, spending, not worrying so much about something that's really, really good. Well, and thinking about those weaknesses, those would things that might, well, should be obvious in an audition. Should so you're be. not going to be too surprised when they show up for that first lesson. Well, sh should be, but I, I remember when, when I was auditioning <coughs> as an undergrad, and, you know, there were some things I did well. I'm not like, you know, like there are people who have talked about how they were terrible when they were undergrads or terrible when they're 15 and they're great now. I don't believe that's usually very true. I was a good high school trumpet player, and, and I don't think that's a problem to say. So, but one of the things I was not very good at was low register. So when I auditioned mm. for college, I didn't play anything below low C. So I think when I no. showed up to college, that could have been a surprise. <laughs> because that's what you should do is right. show off your strengths as best sure. you can and try and hide those weaknesses. So there are some times where, for example, something like sight reading might not show. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, transposition mm. skills might not show. And I'm really mean about transposition with everybody. 
but uh, those kind of things. You're looking for, I believe there are not just how well you play the trumpet or you know, how musically you play, but there are skills involved that everyone mm-hmm. should have. Mm-hmm. So I'm going after all of those. Do you think there are some absolute basics? Of course there's some basics. I'm not thinking uh, fundamentals necessarily, but I'm thinking the Arben, mm-hmm. Schlossberg. Mm-hmm. What's in your studio that you insist is in everybody else's studio? Uh, or in everybody in every other studio? I think if, if you repertoire. walk in your freshman year and you don't have a whole lot of experience, and we do have students that play really well that don't have a lot of experience. We have some that have a ton of experience. They say, what do I need, need? And I said, you're going to need an Arben and a Clark book. And mm-hmm. if you have those two books, we'll be fine for at least the first semester. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, Arben and Clark are absolutely fundamental. And then from there, certainly... Uh, Schlossberg, and then I'm, I really like etudes, so I have lots and lots of etude books that I just keep piling and piling and mm-hmm. piling. Um, but gosh, if, if those are the two that, if you don't walk, if you don't have those walking in, you need to go buy them. Mm-hmm. And other than that, we'll just, then we'll branch out from there. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. You say you need to go buy them. You know, when we went through school, and we walked out of a lesson, and we had been given an assignment, and let's say it's out of the Brandt book. Well, I don't have the Brandt book. Well, I couldn't go download it. No. Download it. I had to do what? I had to go buy the thing and wait a week if it was out of, or longer if it was out out of out of stock. I've got students that are like, "Oh, I downloaded the Arben book, or I downloaded this," and I'm like, "No, you need to buy a physical copy. Uh, You have to have it in hand." Yeah. uh, In order. Although I do have some students who walk in with an iPad Pro. I'm a. Well, I do too, and I I love it. And they can write on that and use. It's essentially. They've got the book. If they've got that, that's and, fine. And, and I'm okay sure. with I'm okay with that. Yeah. So, but yeah, you do need to have ownership, either physical or digital. And you need to actually have yeah. ownership of those materials, as you'll be using the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, what was in your? Was this your first big teaching appointment? I know you yes. mentioned a couple of other. Yes, uh, I, I taught at a ancillary things. St. Joseph's College for three years before coming here, mm-hmm. which was. Kind of a kitchen sink job. Assistant band director, please start a jazz band. Some classroom <laughs> stuff, help out with the marching band, do the second concert band. And my favorite part of the job, which I understand was instrumental in getting it approved as a full-time position, girls basketball band. Because they wanted to have the <laughs> girls as a Division two school. So the girls game would be first and then the, uh, and then the boys game. Mm-hmm. And so they, they didn't have enough, enough time or kids to do both. So like if we do this, we can have separate bands. One right. for the women's game, one for the men's game. So I ran that, which I enjoyed immensely. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> so I taught there for three years. Before yeah. that, I was th- I was there one year just teaching trumpet lessons mm-hmm. and also teaching at Northeastern Illinois University mm-hmm. trumpet lessons. But mm-hmm. right, this was certainly first big job, absolutely. Prior to that? Uh, prior to that, uh, well, I was at Northeastern Illinois University because I'd been around Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was what free- were you doing in Chicago? Freelancing. freelancing. Okay. Freelancing, and actually, I did work for a year uh, at the Chicago Symphony. This would have been 1996, 97. Mm-hmm. I moved in. I moved to Chicago, and there was an ad in the paper that basically read, "We need a classically trained musician who knows how to use a computer." And I thought, well, "I'm a classically trained computer." And, and 20 years ago, it wasn't as many of us that were computer literate. Sure. So I made up a resume and I sent it to the Chicago Symphony uh, Orchestra's Education Department. They pulled, they faxed it to them because that's how they wanted it. Uh, Wait, what's a fax exactly. machine? Exactly. <laughs> um, and I got a phone call 
uh, they interviewed me and offered me a job. It was a 20-hour-a-week job. Uh-huh. So I did that part-time. I taught lessons uh, out at Naperville North High School. Yeah. Met some people out there yeah. and was freelancing in Chicago. That's And that's what I did. Did you get an opportunity years. to sub with Chicago? No, I never played with the orchestra. No. No, but uh, that was the same year that John Hagstrom won the fourth position, and John and I were classmates at Eastman. So oh, I did okay. call him and say, hey, that was kind of cool. Good work. And right. we went to see a couple of baseball games and and uh, – you know, we've obviously remained good friends, but Wait, no, I was Sox or Cubs? Uh, oh, I would go to either. Now, my where I lived was less than a mile from Wrigley, uh, so I would walk over to Wrigley <laughs> and see games. I'm more of a National League guy than American League guy because okay. I think the DH is a bad idea. We could argue about that. That's a different <laughs> podcast. All right. But, uh, but, um, well, this might but make it a Chicago. crossover podcast there where we, we talk trumpet and then we, we talk baseball. We talk sports, yeah. But, yeah, I was around Chicago for a few years just freelancing, you know. Uh, so you're a pretty versatile player. I mean, you are well, I mean, I've heard you play in an orchestra and when I've heard you play principal trumpet in an orchestra, I'm thinking, how could he possibly be a lead trumpet player? And then I hear you play lead and I'm thinking, how can you possibly have the classical chops? You do it all so well. Well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. But it, it's, uh, uh, what kind of work were you freelancing? What kind of things were you doing in Chicago at the time? A little bit of everything? Mostly... Well, when you co- I had just come off Maynard's Band before moving to Chicago. So when people hear you're in Maynard's Band, there, there are certain things that, that open some doors, but very frankly, there, it, can, it can close some others. So I was doing mostly commercial work, mostly lead yeah. work. The first week I was in town, because you know, every business at some level is a who-you-know business, I called a good friend of mine that I was at Miami with. Uh, he was working in Chicago doing, uh, writing music for video games. And I said, hey, I'm here. Here's my phone number. Let's get together. And the next day I got called to play that Thursday night. That was a Monday. On Tuesday, I get called for Thursday night to play the Green Mill, which used to have a big band mm-hmm, mm-hmm. every Thursday night from 9 to 1. It was just reading Thad Mel charts, just kind of standard big band charts. Mm-hmm. So the first week I was in town, I went and did that, made my $20, and I thought <laughs> I finally made it. And uh, that yeah. met some people, met some people. And so I was doing mostly commercial work, you know, wedding bands on the weekend and subbing on shows and then playing on some shows and Mostly commercial work. Were you studying with anyone at that point? No. Seeking, you're in Chicago. Right. I mean, were you tempted to go up to Northwestern or? Well, at Northwestern at that time, well, it might have been the year after that is when Barbara and Charlie came there. Mm-hmm. And that's, I studied with them during my undergrad. So I was, you know. Oh, been there, done that. Yeah. That's a t-shirt. I, it wasn't like right. I, I, need, I didn't feel a need to do that sure. having had three right. years with them already. Yeah. Not that they aren't great. They are, they're still amazing. Of course. Yeah. Um, so let's let's back up a little bit further than uh, yeah. before Chicago. You were uh, well the year immediate. Uh, I was teaching kindergarten in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh my gosh! I remember you telling me this yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I like the idea. I don't want to hide this at all because I think sometimes I think it's brilliant. Musicians that have that. I've never done anything but music, and I've I've done lots other than music. I, I played on Maynard's band for. Uh, Almost two years. I joined in January of 1994, and I got off at the end of August in 95, thinking it was, it, there were a couple of big breaks coming, thinking it's either now or another year, and I'm thinking, okay, I think it's time. So I actually left and, and went to work at America Online, if you remember, when people still had America Look, Online all the time. How many stupid uh, CD-ROMs exactly. did we right. take out of our mailbox and throw right into the trash? Exactly. So I had AOL. some friends that I'd met actually uh, from... On Maynard's band, and one of them worked there, and she <laughs> said, "Oh, I think you'd be great here." 
everybody comes in through customer service and then you could work your way in anywhere in the company because this was so early days of internet, no one had any training to do anything. So I said, okay, and I went in mm. and took their test. They said, when can you start? And so I went and I worked customer service at America Online. Now, during the first couple months I I'm cannot there, see you on the other end of a phone. I was, I, 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 was, I actually did okay. Uh, as, as you know me pretty well, you know I'm not patient. And so that's why with, I'm saying. Yes, yeah. I well, maybe that's the right there. temperament you have to have for that job too. Maybe. Uh, but what <coughs> happened is they ended up they were going to move their call center. So which meant if I wanted to stay with the company, I needed to be in D.C., which oh. is where I was. And I had some connections having been there before. So I was, I was able to do some freelancing while working there. Well, they were going to move to Jacksonville, Florida. And I was not interested in going to Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. So my girlfriend at the time was doing her master's at Western Michigan. And her teacher's uh, wife taught at this little K-8 through that uh, one of the kindergarten teachers <laughs> was going on a maternity leave and said, I'm going to talk to the woman who runs the school. So I, I ended up joining there and moving there. <laughs> so I taught kindergarten, which was group taught. And then they needed somebody to teach algebra and pre-algebra. And I said, oh, no problem. That's actually my strength as I'm a math guy. So I, I, they let me out a little bit in the morning to go teach the one eighth grade class and seventh grade class. And then also after school, coach the boys basketball team, which I truly loved as there were only 12 boys in eighth grade. Oh, my gosh. And so that was my team. Was the entire... Was those boys. And, no. and so we got together, and uh, they told me, and I think this is true, it was the first time they ever had a winning record, and we won our first playoff game. No. So I had a great time with those guys. Wow. So that's what I did for the year <laughs> right after I got off Manders Band, and then, I, and then I got married and moved to Chicago. Wow. Boy, okay. So now you, let's go back to that comment earlier about sitting next to somebody and not having the same experiences. Right. Yeah, I don't think there's any <laughs> other trumpet player that could put any of that stuff on their resume. It is a, it is a weird resume. It's very but, eclectic. Uh, it, it is it, it is eclectic, but this does show you there are people that end up all over the place. But you were also no. willing, right, to take yeah. that work. Well, I think part of it, and is it's not this. like you put your trumpet to the side during this no, either, right? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I met Scott. That's when I met Scott Thornburg when I moved to Kalamazoo. Mm -hmm. I'd never met Scott before. Who said, "Oh my gosh, great!" Now I had done my masters at Miami and studied with Gil Johnson. He had also studied with Gil, so he we knew each other's names through mm -hmm. Gil. And he said, well, gosh, I want to use you in the symphony. So when he would go to New York to do New York Chamber Orchestra things, I would sub and play in the Kalamazoo Symphony, nice. which was, well, he was very, very gracious during mm -hmm. that year. It was great. Mm -hmm. It's like, come and do a master class. Let's go do some stuff. And hey, go play with the symphony. So no, I was always playing. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think about this um, when talking to my students, where if you'd held a gun to my head and, and when I was 17, and I don't know why you would, but uh, and said, what do you want to be doing? I, I think when I was 17, you know, I, I mean, I wanted to just go play everything trumpet, but sure. go play lead on Maynard's band. Yeah. would certainly be near the top of that list. Yeah. Okay, now I've done that. Well, now what? So you got to rethink what you. Oh, you got to rethink teach what primary you want school. Want. Well, but the idea of like, okay, so <coughs> that's what I wanted to do. Well, now I've done that. So crap. Now what? So I had to kind of re retool and rethink. Mm -hmm. Now what do I want to do? And the answer is still kind of the same. Well, I kind of want to do everything. Well, even. Thinking about what we've discussed so far today, it's like you're you're not satisfied just being an applied teacher. Right, you're you're looking it. for well, and and yeah. right, there's not just no, I, that's no, not I, what no, I mean. But you're right. But it's like this is why you stepped into this administrative role mm -hmm. with undergraduate studies, and it's like there's always something growing, there's always a way to broaden your perspective and your experiences, and so it's just like I look at this as a a career that has. It's like a Christmas tree. You just keep adding ornaments to it. 
right? <laughs> I like that. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. So, actually, I, I like that analogy. That's I'm going to hang good. on to that for something else. Yeah. Um, so, let, let's, let's talk about Maynard's Band for just a second. Sure. Uh, oh, it reminds me of another podcast where there's a trumpet player who said, you know, we all go through this Maynard phase, and then hopefully we all grow out of it. <laughs> and I... I kind of was like, hey, wait a second for a second. And I was like, no, that's right. We should. We yeah. should go through a everybody phase, you know, not yeah, yeah. get stuck on just one player and, you know. But uh, how'd you get the gig? Um, How long were you there? It's, uh, again, I, I want to be perfectly honest about this, as all things are, there's a guy named John Owens who's, uh, we were at Eastman together. He's a year behind me at Eastman. He's been playing uh, lead on Wicked since it started. He's still playing. I think they mm-hmm. just finished 15 years of Wicked. Wow. Um, he got on the band. I don't know how he got on, but I, I'd run into him when I was in, still in, in the army, and he's like, "You got to come out and do this." I said, "Well, I've got a job." But I got out, and I was doing my masters at Miami, and they were looking for somebody during my first year, and they called saying, "Any way you could get out now? We may have so short term, <laughs> and it couldn't. There was just no way to make it work." Sure. And the next year, they called and said, uh, "Okay, we're ready. You ready?" And I said, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it was at the recommendation of somebody who was already on the band, which was very common at the time. Oh, of course. I you think that's somebody, the way a lot of the somebody. bands operated through those years is absolutely. who knew who. And yeah. yeah, yeah. So I joined, like I said, in January of 1994. And I was... This it, was Big Bop Nouveau years, yeah, is that right? Exactly right. So we, during my first year, I mean, it, it was ridiculous. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to Australia that summer and then up through Asia. Uh, made a record. Um, and which one? These cats. Uh, these oh, cats yeah. can swing. Right, right. Which Maynard sings on, which is so charming. It's a chart he pulled out in rehearsal and said he and Willie Maiden had written this chart way back in the old days, and they just never really did much with it. So he pulled it back out and said, "Let's see if it's still worth anything." So we played in rehearsals, found it charming, and we're doing it, and it, and it got on the record, which is great. Uh, Speaking of people who shouldn't sing, oh no, it's, I'll edit it's this great. out. Is that, you know, William Shatner just released a Christmas album. A new one? Yes. Oh, please leave this part in. Yeah. I love his Rocket Man. (laughs) If anybody listening, it's got to be on YouTube. Go. Yeah. This is what we grew up with. Yeah. We're the same age. (laughs) The spoken word singing terrible stuff of William Shatner. Oh, my gosh. He has a Christmas album? Yes. I'm going to be downloading that as soon as we're done today. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you think, why? Well, because he can. Right, right. I mean, that's. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of Christmas music, so. But my family, I, I've got a wife and three daughters, and they all like Christmas music, and they're already starting. I usually say we have to wait till after Thanksgiving. Yeah. There are a couple Christmas albums that I'll enjoy. Uh, Elvis's Christmas album, of oh, course. Oh, absolutely, it's, it's gorgeous. And a couple years ago, Brian McDonald, who's the uh, lead trumpet player in sure, the Airman of Airman, Note, right? he said, "Hey, you got to hear this," and he handed me a Christmas album. I said, "Oh God, I don't want to listen to this." He goes. I said, I don't like Christmas. He says, just listen to our part and, li- and send it, and let me know what you think. And it's uh, uh, Have a Holly Jolly Christmas, the Airman of Note. And it's a four-trumpet feature. Yeah. And it's spectacular. It's my favorite It's my favorite Christmas music. I listen to it every year. I make my students hear it. features all four of the guys in the section at that time. Oh, nice. Uh, it's turned over a little since. But uh, it's, nice. it's great. Uh, it's probably available to the Air Force stuff online. You had me. I, I thought you were going to say it's awful. But oh, no, 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 you're giving it no, two thumbs up. No, I don't up like on, Christmas okay. music, and I love it. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. All right. Well, yeah. what about Harry Connick's uh, Christmas album? I mean, yeah, come on, it's, it's good. It's good big fan stuff, and you know, yeah, it Roger is. gets to go it crazy. Is. It sounds yeah. great, so of course, yeah. I put you on the spot yeah. for that one, but that's yeah. okay. 
Um, how long were you on Maynard's band? Like I said, I did that almost two years. So I got almost off, uh, I think, at the end of August. Were they touring constantly? Well, you go out for five weeks, ten weeks, six mm. weeks, a different length of tours, and then sure. you get a week or two off or a little bit longer here or there. Right. So, but, so consistently through the year, mm -hmm. yes. And you might get a little longer break here or there. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. What is practice time like on the road? It varies wide, widely. Because uh, you've got to maintain I'm a, some I'm other a practice things, guy. right? I'm a get-up-in-the-morning-and-practice mm -hmm. guy. So... You know, when you're, when you're doing hit and runs where you just play the gig, get on the bus and drive to the next place, that's the hardest time to practice. Other than that, even if I go to bed really super late, if my eyes don't open by 9 o'clock, it's unusual. Like if, we go to, if I go to bed at 3 or 4 because that's just what happens, Sure. I'm still waking up at 9 uh, and then I'll get up and practice right. and I'm fine with that. My roommates weren't always fine with that. <laughs> but uh, So I, I'm, a, you know, I'm fine with the practice mute and turn the TV up and then you can play pretty much in a hotel room and nobody's going to complain. Right. Uh, so I, I've always been good about that. It, it's harder when, you do, when you're doing this hit and run, hit and run, hit and run, which yeah. does happen every once in a while. But then you just, you know, you just do your best and you adjust yeah. and sometimes you have to miss and it's okay. Well, you hear the stories about these guys who are like, oh man, you know, I was on the road for X number of weeks. Got to a point to where I pulled the horn out the next morning and nothing yeah. would come out. Yeah. Because all they're doing is just banging away night after night, you know, mm -hmm. without doing those things that need to, to balance it out. Yeah. Well, if I can go back even further, when I was out with the Army, I was in the Army's jazz band, the Jazz Ambassadors, uh, and the tours when I was with them were, there were two large 40-day tours every year. There were some wow. other shorter ones. But on those 40-day tours, it was 10 days off, one day on. I mean, 10 days on, one yeah. day off. That would be a much better <laughs> schedule. Be uh, but ten, <coughs> those 10 days on were concerts every night, and sometimes there would be high school shows in the morning. Yeah. So you're playing at least, you know, 10, at least 10 concerts in 10 days yeah. in 10 different cities. And then you get one day off. And there would be those, there would be guys that would kind of wait for the day off and try and put stuff back together, and that, that's too late. There would be guys getting to the end of tour thinking, oh, my gosh, I need some time off. Yeah. Or I was getting up, you know, as soon as I hit the hotel room or if we had a later uh, leave time up in the morning practicing right away so then I could feel good all the way through. Yeah. You know, and the mental fatigue is as important to mm -hmm. address as well as the physical Right. Well, that's fatigue. where when I was on, gosh, this is how old this is how we are. We're the same yeah. age. The Game Boy came out my first year into the Army, <laughs> and I bought one the day it came out because on the bus I could sit there and play Tetris. It was like a revolution of being able to just have a brain release. Because I, I have always How large was that screen on that Game Boy? Tiny maybe, little maybe an inch and a half or two inches, right? Too, yes. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. The last time I saw Maynard, he was at the Jazz Kitchen in Indianapolis. Ed Cord and I went up together. And Ed Sargent, who was Maynard's longtime road manager, was standing out front when we walked up. And uh, he always called me Joe, which is funny because nobody calls me Joe. He goes, hey, Joe, how you doing? He's from Tennessee, so he has the accent. Okay. And this is the question he asked me. And you still reading all them books? Because on our bunk when, we were out, yeah. when I was out on the road... Because the mental fatigue, you need a break, you need a sure. break, you need something. This is, you know, pre-internet days. Nobody yeah. had laptops out on the road. 
So I, my bunk was full of books. You know, I, could just, I could just climb up there and I could read. Now, to be fair, by that time, I also brought my Sega Genesis on the road. We, we hooked oh, up on the gosh. back of the bus and we played Madden football an awful lot. Yeah. Wow. And I should say this in case Frank Green is listening. If you don't know Frank, he's a great lead player oh, in the yeah. New York area. Just uh, took the lead chair. In, in I was just going to say, you're the one that told me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that's right. Uh, Frank and I overlapped. He was my predecessor, and then he came back and split again and was out again later. Yeah. Um, we roomed together while we were out together. Frank and I have known each other since before that. Um, he had a hockey game that he would, I was pretty good at, at most of the video games. Not the hockey game. He would murder me with that really? NHL, you know, the EA Sports NHL games. No, I mean, what was your handicap on that? I, I don't know. I just couldn't do hockey, even on even on. You're too tall games. to be a hockey player. Yeah, maybe, That's what it is. I mean, it was. I was pretty good with the with the football. I was pretty good with basketball. I was good with that stuff. Hockey, <laughs> terrible. And Frank, without fail, would just leave me bloody on the ice. It was terrible. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Do you still have those games around? I don't. I don't know. That was a couple moves ago. I don't know where they are. I've seen Game Boys on eBay. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, those things are still out there. And they're, and they're yeah. functional, but they probably cost a pretty penny. Probably, yeah. To, so. Uh, okay, so you, you mentioned the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, when, how long, Oh yeah. and so what that were you doing was, with I that I graduated group? college in, in 1988, and I went and worked at the, the Disney College Program that summer. And... I got a phone call. Someone associated with the band saw the show there and saw it was a college group, and they were looking for a lead trumpet player, had had an audition and not found anybody suitable. So they called me on the phone and said, would you be interested in auditioning for this? And uh, anybody that knows me knows that I may not be really ideally suited for military. So I asked some questions. And they're like, Well, yeah. not the United States military. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I sent them my stuff, and they said, okay, sure. And I went and took uh, all of the the physical qualifications right. and right. the uh, armed, service, armed services vocational aptitude battery yep. to make sure I was qualified to be hired. Right. Went out and did the audition, and they uh, they offered me the job. And I asked them some pretty pointed questions about, are you sure? I understand I can cut my hair short. I can shave. I can try my best to lose the weight. But, you know, military? And they're like, no, no, it's just like being on a road band. It'll be great. It'll be great. And from their perspective... They probably thought that was true. By the time I was in about six months, I realized yeah. this is not the best fit. <laughs> yeah. This is not the best fit for me. Yeah. Uh, if I can put that as nicely as I was can. Was that a four-year enlistment? Four-year enlistment. Yeah. So I was there from 88 to 92. Yeah. Stationed so in D.C. the whole yeah, time? Fort Meade is where the band is. Right. And then you just travel a lot. Right. That band is just out of the road. Because that band, you know, the U.S. Army band is there in D.C. So the U.S. Army Field Band, which is where the Jazz Ambassadors is part of, their job is to... to Tour the country, their public relations, you know, be a good face for the military and go out and do public concerts. I'm going to edit this next part out, but I'm curious. I moved to D.C. in 88, mm-hmm. was doing some community uh, community band things, uh, Fairfax City Band. Okay. And a German band called the Alte Kameraden. Polka band. We worked like crazy. It was insane <laughs> the amount of work we had. Uh, but we would get guys from Army Blues and Airmen and Note that would come in and sit in in some of these groups, which was just fantastic. Yeah. It was like getting a private lesson from a lot of these. I remember an Army Blues lead player that came out, and you might know, you might might remember names from there, but... I know who the guy was uh, at that time. But just a monster player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I can't even, I wouldn't even try to remember a name. It it might come to me as we go. But I just remember... Uh, he was a monster. He was there for a long time. Having that opportunity to sit next to those guys was yeah. just, what a treat. 
Yeah. yeah. Learning experience, yes. But, you know, selfishly, it's like, oh, you find out somebody's going to be on the gig sitting next to you. It's like, oh, this is yeah, going to be great. Cool. You know? Yeah. And uh, you learn a lot of style. I mean, that's, you know, where I finally started to learn, oh, that's how you're supposed to swing. Yeah. Oh, that's how you're right. supposed to do this, that, or the other. Yeah. So, uh, so you finished your enlistment mm-hmm. and then back to school? Then I went and did my master's, University of Miami. I went down there to force myself as my greatest probably musical weakness at that point would be improvisation. And so it's like, I'm a pretty good lead player and I'm a, I'm a pretty good trumpet player. But boy, through changes in front of me, I'm just going to pass them as fast as I can. So I went down to Miami to be a jazz major. Yeah. But Gil Johnson was the trumpet teacher. So I talked to Gil. And uh, so I was Gil Johnson's teaching assistant while doing my master's in jazz studies. So I got the best of both worlds there for two years, which was great. I, I don't know that I've actually actually ever heard you play improv. Uh, yeah, I guess probably not. Well, I'm just kind of curious now yeah. if there's a... You, do you enjoy that? I do enjoy it. It's certainly not. You pick uh, your tunes, though. Do you, you do you pick your? Yeah, uh, I'll go out and when I go out and do guest solo things, there are things I'm perfectly comfortable doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly. Uh, there are people that do that a lot better than I do, and I'm constantly working at it to be, to be better, to be better. Yeah. But uh, actually, you may, if this is going to happen, if it's not, edit this part out. Sure. Uh, I just talked to Mark Buscelli the other day. Yeah. And he wants to put together a thing for February 3rd at the Jazz Kitchen, a Sunday night. I think it might be me and him. Rex Richardson's going to be in town for right. something. And maybe John Raymond, who's our new jazz trumpet yeah. faculty member yeah. here, uh, as a four-trumpet rhythm section that we might be doing that night. Very cool. So you can come out and, you know, tell me if, I've, if I've done any good work at that point. Yeah, Rex, man. What yeah. a great cat. Rex is a great cat. <laughs> He's a great cat. <laughs> it has the best speaking voice yeah. in trumpet, yeah. without a doubt. When I first met him, I asked him. Uh, uh, no, he beat me to the punch. He goes, you know, a lot of people ask me is that your real voice or is that a stage voice? And it was like, he must be barraged by that, yeah. you know, all the time. But Rex and I met in the summer of 97. We went with Bill Russo's band. We did a week and a half tour of Italy where I was the lead player. He was one of the jazz players on yeah. that tour. Along with Tito Carrillo was on what that tour too. What an great. amazing so, player. Yeah, we had and a lot of fun. what a risk taker too. I mean, he is not afraid of anything. No, and puts together an awful lot of stuff. Yes, and, and a major, an amazing social media promoter as well. I mean, mm-hmm. what a great example of how to market yourself. Absolutely. I don't know anybody's doing a lot better as far as yeah. making a living as a soloist is something that I imagine would be really difficult just from a practical standpoint. And so, yeah. sure, I mean, he's he's teaching at VCU, but boy, he's all over the world all yeah. the time doing all kinds of yeah. stuff. Well, I just open up Facebook and you see his, uh, well, traveling from... Uh, Right. You know, Richmond to wherever, overseas, or even somewhere stateside. It's like every other day there's right. something like that. So, um, Okay, so let's back up a l- little bit. You were at Miami. Uh, mm-hmm. Prior to that, you were in the, in the Army. Mm-hmm. Prior to that? Uh, I did my undergrad at Eastman. And who were you studying with there? I studied with Barbara there. Charlie took everybody for one semester, but that Barbara was really my primary teacher there. And uh, All four years with, well, with her? Well, three or? years. I did my freshman year. I went to Juilliard. And studied with Mel Broyles. And aside from Mel Broyles, that school was also not a good fit for me at that time. Huh. So I was there about thinking, well, I thought there'd, there'd it'd be more and different than this. And so I went into a lesson and said, you know, Mr. Broyles, I'm, I'm thinking about transferring. I want you to write me a letter. And his response, because I was afraid to ask, uh, his response was fantastic. as He had had some problems with the school as well because he taught in the stairwells of the Met. 
Um, so you'd go in the oh stage gosh. door of the Met, sign in, and then you'd go down to where he had two chairs and a stand, and you'd play for an hour, an hour and a half, or whatever. It was always fantastic. Yeah. Um, he was incredibly supportive. It was he was he understood what I was what I was looking for, and so I, I spent three years at Eastman. So I spent a year at Juilliard okay. and three at Eastman, and studied with Barbara that whole time. Yeah. Okay, so the teachers you've listed. Yeah, they're pretty good. Well, yeah, they're good, <laughs> but they're also really diverse in, in I think, what they can offer. Um, think about, if you can think about your first lesson with Mel Broyles or your first lessons, lessons even with Barbara Butler and Gil Johnson. Um, you went in, you, you probably had things already working pretty well. I, was, I mean, yeah, I was you're going to go to Eastman you, or Juilliard. I was a good young trumpet player. That's true, yes. So not a whole lot to fix. So where's the focus? Hmm. Well, I can tell you with Mel, my lessons with Mel, my first semester was a little confusing. As I, I walked in, he pulled out a book, and he said, pull out your B-flat trumpet. Okay, we're going to read this in D. And he would just have me sight read something and say, okay, here's what you got to do, got to do, got to do, and we'd write that down. And then he'd say, pull out your C trumpet. Now, give me this. We're going to read this in A. And everything was sight transposition. For the whole hour. Yeah. So I went out of the first lesson. Wow. Sweating. That's okay. intense. So I know what I got to work on. So I go work on all that stuff and I show up for the next lesson. And it's exactly the same thing. Okay, what do you got? Let me see. Uh, and we would cite transpose. That's what we were doing. Oh, I got this excerpt I want to work on. Hold on. Now this is going to be an E flat. So what you got to do is get your C out. This is going to be, now go ahead and do this. Do this. <laughs> all right, you got to pick a little. Let me see that right here. Every lesson was cite transposing everything. And I didn't ask any questions because he wasn't asking me if I had any questions at the time. So we're just going. So I get to the end of the semester and I'm thinking to myself, because I'm trying to outsmart him, he wants me to have everything ready. So I'm going to practice all this stuff. <laughs> so we get to the end and I have a jury and it's all over. So first semester, first lesson of second semester. Well, Mr. Broson, we're getting along great. He was charming. He was giving us a wonderful teacher. He'd give me tickets to go see the Met. What are you doing tonight? I'm like, I'm a 17-year-old New York City. What do you think I'm doing tonight? He said, Here, go see the Met. So he'd give me you know, I go see right. the Met, which was awesome. I'm not sure. the biggest opera fan, but seeing oh, that but things that done thing, well so it was pretty amazing. Absolutely. You know. Right. So so Mr. Broyles, uh, you know, we come in and we read all of these things and you assign them and you never hear them again. You know, what what's going on there? And he said in a very dismissive way, Well, I'm assuming if you can practice them, you can play them and I don't need to hear that. Which was interesting. Way wow. of teaching, which I don't do. I, I absolutely want to hear that you've worked it out. Well, not. yeah, so that would be another question is, you know, what from your other teachers so, have you perpetuated into your or continued Yeah, but that I didn't studio? take, but the transposition part is a very useful skill. And I, all of my students, I use the 150 short melodies in the back of the Arvins. Oh, yeah. From the time you walk in the door, you get two of those every week in different keys. Yeah. And if you got a B flat and a C, we'll start off in B flat and C and C and B flat, and then we'll just say right. on both horns in D and both horns in A. Right. Kind of get that skill together, which also builds a comfort level in both horns together. Right. Yeah. So I show up and with Barbara, those first couple lessons were much more uh, analytical of what do you do well, what do you do poorly? And then, oh, okay, we gotta go after this. Which is, I think, more similar in big picture how I teach now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The idea of, well, we've got strengths and weaknesses. Well, now we gotta make sure we're addressing those weaknesses while not ignoring the strengths and while also making sure we're learning music and how to play the trumpet. Was your learning style, and it might be the same, do you need to hear it hear it played or do you like things laid out for you in a very Either, logical... I'm a logical guy. So yeah. if you can quantify it, it works better from my head. But there was one semester, I've told this story to my students, 
where I so Charlie took everybody. Barbara was playing with the St. Louis Symphony, so Charlie taught everybody for a whole semester. And I had the first lesson of the morning, and I came in and massacred a, an etude. <laughs> I, I could still show you which etude I remember. Charlie looked at me <laughs> and stood up and walked across over the window, took out his horn, came back and sat down, and then played it. And to my credit, as I w I've always been a little bit of a smart aleck, uh, I said, well, if I could do that, I wouldn't need to be here. And <laughs> so, because it was just stellar. Ooh. He said, no, you know, because the school, Eastman used to open at 8 in the morning, and I had the 8 o'clock lesson, which mm -hmm. means there was I didn't warm up for the lesson. There was no time. So I walked in. I'm and editing and that out, or I'm putting qualifiers on that. My students are not allowed to yeah. show up not warm up. Well, he was teaching everybody, so there were times where you just, sure. you got that lesson, and I had right. that lesson that week. So... But he said, there are times you're going to run late for a gig. You might walk in right into a rehearsal. You might not have time. You can't rely upon that. You need to be ready to play. And obviously, he hadn't warmed up because his horn was in the in there when he walked in the building. Oh. And he drove in. So he played it. I was Good like, point. oh. But when he said, can you make it sound more like this? And I'd watch and listen. He'd go, oh. And I would play it. And he'd say, why didn't you do that the first time? And I had an answer. And I said, I didn't know that that was possible the first time. I thought... I thought I could be this good, and then I'm hearing Charlie and realizing there's a whole nother level that I wasn't even aware of yet that that demonstration part can really help. Yeah. So I, I think there's a good, yeah. for most people, that you need to have both of those things so students understand, one, you want to make sure that they can they do hear what a high-functioning professional sounds like, whether yeah. it's me or anyone else, but that they really hear that. That's why that, But also to be able to quantify, you need to do these seven things to get there if there right. are seven. So how, do, how about Gil Johnson? What was his teaching like? Gil was fantastic. Um, he liked to yell, which was, he, he would stand <laughs> across the room, sometimes while smoking a cigar in a room about this size, in a studio size, yeah. um, and just saying things like, you can't play trumpet like that. What do you think you're doing? You know, which was always <laughs> really great. But he was, uh, uh, it was always about making, making great music out of things. Yeah. So, and I operate the trumpet fairly well. So I would come in and I might have all the notes worked out. And it was maybe halfway through the semester. And the first time he said to me, I need you to start that over again. And he walked behind me and I didn't know what he was doing. So as I started, he started, it was an etude, mm -hmm. playing a piano accompaniment for it. Oh, nice. I didn't know he played piano until that moment. <laughs> so, you know, I had no idea. He's like, you got to be thinking music. You got to be thinking music, and you put music behind an accompaniment. Now my piano chops are not anywhere near that good. Yeah. But uh, for him, it was really okay. Sure, you can play the trumpet, but what are you going to do with that? Right. And the funny part for him, as as you might notice, all of my teachers, primary teachers there, all made their living on the classical side of the, uh, the horn, mm -hmm. and that's not where I've made most of my career. He was not really interested in big band music. And asked me when I was leaving to go, I left Miami to go join Maynard's band. He asked me, are you sure this is what you want to do? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, if that's what you want to go. Okay, I guess. You know, it just wasn't, that wasn't the music he was that interested in. But it's just a matter of style, right? Is, I mean, don't we all blow that. through the little end and sound comes out the big end? That's I mean, pretty much it. But, I mean, but the fundamental approach really is the same. I believe that to be true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, You know, it, it's people who come in and I think, you know, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I'm thinking, well, that's great. But every one of those, uh, I think Miles Davis and Louis Armstrong uh, blew through the little end. Sound came out the big end. But, I mean, they had the fundamentals down. Yeah. They well, could you, produce beautiful sounds on the trumpet. You, you know? listen to Louis Armstrong, who, I mean, listen, one of the founders of jazz as we know it. 
might be underrated as a trumpet player. It's possible that we overlook how really good he was as a fundamental trumpet player. Oh, I don't know. So, because I think people oftentimes are like, oh, sure, of course, Louis Armstrong. But you listen to those recordings, and one, they're all one take things. He's just playing into, you know, in a room into a thing that was literally etching onto the 78 at the yeah. time, the wax cylinders at those time. He doesn't miss anything, and everything sounds great, and everything's dead center. That guy was an amazing fundamental trumpet player. Yeah. You know. Well, an amazing musician. And of course. As well. Right, but I'm saying, I think the musician part but you're is right. easily, to, is, is one that gets accepted. Yeah. And that's sort of built in. I'm not yeah. sure he always gets the same credit on the trumpet side, which I think he deserves. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I might throw Al Hurt into that oh, as Al well. Oh, Al Hurt was a tremendous trumpet player. You know, the, the technician that I don't think a lot of people... Oh, uh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, some of those things we have on YouTube now where you can actually watch him play. Okay. And it's pretty amazing. Now, I, I will admit... And, and my students will tell you they won't go through a lesson without us watching, not just listening, but watching yeah. something on YouTube. It's a fantastic resource. It is. To be able to go and listen to Louis Armstrong and, or, or watch and Maurice Andre mm -hmm. and Sergei and uh, uh, Ole and, I mean, all these amazing trumpet players. But I think there's a real value in watching them as well to oh, show I, them. I agree with you. First of all, let's listen. But then to see and watch, even the Rafael Mendez uh, mm -hmm. uh, videos that are on yeah. there, is look at the ease. Look at all of these things that you try to teach them. Look at the embouchure. Look at this. Look at that. They make it look so easy. Mm -hmm. But they've all developed an efficiency. I mean, they're all just fantastic at moving air through the, the instrument. Mm -hmm. um, do you utilize that? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, the first time... Good. Now, that, that makes me feel a whole yeah. lot better knowing oh, no, that's... <laughs> the first time I saw... It was an old Basie TV broadcast from Europe. So it was black and white, but crystal clear black and white video. And it was the first time I got to watch Snooky Young play lead oh. trumpet in the Basie band. I was just mesmerized yeah. at seeing it. Because when we were growing up, we would listen to records. But in some way, there's still a disconnect of they're not real people. When I listen to Maurice Andre records, it didn't occur to me that there's some there's a guy named Maurice Andre that lives in France and practices trumpet every right. day. That's just some guy in the record. You listen yeah. to Chicago Symphony, and yeah, there's a guy, I know there's a guy named Bud Herseth, but he's not an actual human being that lives in Chicago and right. you know eats pizza. No, that can't be true. <laughs> it's just a guy on a record. But when right. you see it, 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 I think there's a level of, of, of making that, uh, not just being able to see how they're set up, but it makes them real people in a way that I don't think we had the same thing growing up. Oh, gosh, no. Uh, and if anybody ever told me that, uh, you know, listening to Doc however many years ago, that I would eventually get to meet him. Right. You know, let alone play with him. Yeah. Which I know you've done yeah. several times. Uh, and the but, biggest biggest trumpet geek in the world. And, but, okay, so now we're also not just talking access on on the Internet, but now the access you have to... So many players, so easy to contact mm -hmm. whoever you want to study with. Right. Hey, can I come get a lesson? And most of the time, yes. Sure. If you can afford it. <laughs> right. There are right. some people who are pretty to, expensive. That's or, true. Or even to get there is going right. to cost you an arm and a leg. Uh, yeah, I just think the access, uh, that's another thing, as, as I never would have thought I would have had the access to those people. Let You know, you're talking about listening right. to those recordings. I would never have even thought, oh, I wonder if I could call up Maurice Andre and get a lesson. Right. Well, 
Yeah, well, I would have been scared to death way back then. Right, but now... If Mal he was still but, alive right now, but, I'd, I'd, but, I'd make contact. But Malcolm McNabb runs a camp now in the summers for a week. Are you kidding me? I want to go to that go, camp. right? You know? Uh, my last interview was with John Foster, and he was telling me about his Australasian Trumpet Academy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I hope there's room on next year's roster. Yeah. Because I want to go. Yeah. You know, I mean, it sounds like a great experience because he, he gets everybody on natural trumpet. Mm -hmm. he, or Baroque trumpet, and he gets everybody improvising by the end of the week. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Right. And you get to go to Australia. And Australia is pretty nice. So, uh, yeah, you know, this it, the access is, is just crazy. Even access to people like you and access to, I mean, you guys are only, well, from Indianapolis, 45 minutes away. Right, yeah. You know, Chicago's... Not that far away. Just a couple hours up. You know, if I want to go to Cincinnati, and uh, I don't know, is Bob Sullivan back in Cincinnati? Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. if I wanted to say, hey, Bob, can I get a lesson? You know? Yeah, I don't know if he's playing. I'm doing New Year's but, Eve there again this year. I don't know if he's playing or not, but I, Bob's amazing. But just to get around and... St. Louis is... I've played with them. That's four hours from where we're sitting right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cleveland as well. Cleveland? Uh, Cleveland's just not that far. I played a couple of pop singles with them last summer. Well, John's doing Mahler 6 with them, too. Is That's that right? right. And they're going to actually play here on their way down to Florida. Okay, somebody told me about that. When's, what's the date? I don't know. I probably should. Okay. Well, we'll look <laughs> it up. It's in January. I might actually post that in the, sure. in the notes for yeah, that, yeah. too. So. But, yeah, Cleveland Orchestra is coming here, and they're going to be performing with, I believe, the University Chorale. Oh, terrific. So it's a school of music group. But they're going to wow. be here for a couple of days doing some master classes. Oh, nice. I'll yeah. have to come down for that. But if you haven't... Uh, well, see, and then, so, all right, my, Michael Sachs, right? I that's mean, where I was going. If you haven't heard Mike Sachs play live, you're missing out. That guy's been there doing that for 30 years, and yeah. it sounds like a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have any uh, interest in taking an audition. Oh, no. I, I, I love all things trumpet. I never really wanted to go play in an orchestra full-time. Uh, just not, not that I... It's just not what I wanted to go do. I wanted to go play in a big band full-time, and I've yeah. gotten to do that a few times, which I really liked. But I like sitting in the orchestra a week here, a week there, but I didn't. that's not something I ever really wanted to go do. Yeah. I know you do a lot of studio work. Mm -hmm. uh, like where, where is that on your likability scale? Oh, I love that. Uh, um, now, wait, I'm, a, wait, wait. I'm, a, I'm a puzzle guy. Should I put a sarcasm filter no, on this? No, I, I do love it. <laughs> now, you worked with me in the studio, so you've seen me get pissed off in the studio which is absolutely true here's and what completely I justified it. well whether or I not think. it's justified I do, <laughs> there are times i get i certainly get dark in the studio that's absolutely true but no i love recording the reason i keep going back is because here's the puzzle i love i love the idea of i have no idea what i'm about to play and i want to get it right on the first time love that's that. the that's the the thing i love about it yep absolutely love it so yeah there are times where I get frustrated with the process or the stuff or any parts that are going along with that. But that overarching concept is what keeps bringing me back. Yeah. Because I absolutely love that part. I, I agree. I love going to the studio. And, you know, it could be the most mundane third trumpet part that I'm playing that day. But it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Even the same, the same thing is, boy, if I'm in the studio, somebody's trusting me that I'm going to show up and nail it the first time and through. And do it right. And yeah. not be the reason... That you know we have to go back for another take, but you know of course we all we all have those, of those course, moments, yeah. Every, yeah. And we make as much fun of it as we possibly can. Oh, and it's the place I've told my students. It's interesting when they go to record things here. I said, no. Oftentimes, what you're going to see with your friends is everybody gets really nervous and tight and gets <laughs> like really and, and but recording is the only place you get to fix your mistakes. 
Yeah. When you're playing live, if you put on a concert, you're going to make mistakes, and everybody makes mistakes, and it's fine. When you're in a recording studio, you should play full out because that's the only place that you can go back and go, okay, that did not work at all. Now we're going to go back and you know, put yeah. it down because then when it works, wow, it can sound really good. Right. So I like that part. So I was Do you record in lessons? I see some apparatus uh, here in the studio. Sometimes here and there, not probably not as much as I should. I encourage my students to do an awful lot of it on their own. Yeah. There are times where I'll say, let's, let's listen to that. Here, do that and let's play that back. Or if it's something physical, I'm going to video you and show yourself right back. Yeah. What, uh, what are some aspirations you have for yourself? Not, not necessarily university, but what do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? You've got a long way left in your career. Long time left. I want left. to accomplish. That's, a, that's not a bad question. I, I, like I started with, I like working in the abstract. So what I, I remember saying this to a friend of mine when I was a senior in college. We were hanging out talking about what we're going to do next. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a great trumpet player. And she said, you don't think you're great already? Because I was at Eastman where everybody thinks they're great. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I think I'm a good college trumpet player. Yeah. But then I see who's out there you know, doing things. When you see who's sitting in major orchestras and big soloists and jazz players and lead players and going, you know, I want to be a great trumpet player, whatever that means in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always out there in front of me. That's really what I want. I don't know that there's any one gig thing or thing that I want to be on or do or get to as much as I just want to keep getting better at playing the trumpet and at playing music. But that's huge. Right, but that's everything. That's huge. That's and everything it, for me. Yeah, and I think if, if you were ever, and, and you in the general sense, if, if that person, whoever it is, gets complacent, it's time to retire. But I think there are plenty of people in all walks of musical life, performing, teaching, you know, that sort of think, okay, yeah, I've kind of got this under control and I can do this. And they may be right that they're perfectly capable at that level of, main, for lack of a better term, maintaining that <coughs> level of effectiveness. And then I watch it and they're like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, and I agree. That's when you should move on. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'm still getting better, and uh, so that's what keeps me going. And I like to tell my students. I, I don't make it a secret that I, I'm always in search of a, a way to improve myself. Yeah. yeah. The next inspiration, the next big thing. You know, even if it's going to... In fact, I've got a student that came in. Uh, she can flutter tongue, but she can't growl. Okay. Well, I can't growl, but it, oh, it, okay. it occurred to me this week... Maybe it's just because I haven't practiced it right. long enough. Maybe if I actually spend time <laughs> in my own practice sure. doing it, well, then that would be yet one more skill that I can add to my repertoire mm-hmm. and not have to rely on flutter tongue to cover those things. Because there's, I think there's a difference between a growl and a flutter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so I want to be able to do both. Yeah. You might think, well, that's simple. Well, no, it's significant. In some ways. If you, you haven't know, done it, right. If you haven't done it. Absolutely. So for me, I think that was just this past week. I'm thinking, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to work on learning how to growl. Yeah. Now, you uh, you know I play in a trumpet ensemble, my trumpet yeah. mundi guys. Oh, yeah. Go looking. ahead. Put put in the shameless plug no, for what, trumpet but mundi. We're, I do, what I, one of the things we're <laughs> in doing. In fact, I hope you would anyways. Yeah, but we're, we do have plans in February. We're going to be doing our fourth CD, our fourth recording. Um, so there's always things that we talk about about what's coming next, what's coming next. And as a performing group, it's been great working with these guys because, you know, this, we're six university professors, so yep. we all are, we're all doing this. We're all teaching trumpet, and we're right. all freelancing and working. And then we get together, and we're from all over the place with a bunch of different 
histories. Right. And working with those guys has been really uh, fantastic. And we maintain really close friendships as well. We're regularly texting and giving each other a hard time and picking on each other and asking each other questions. Mm -hmm. and, um, but that part is something that I hope we do keep going, you know, because we'll sort of get to a place and we finish a recording project and then have something and then think, well, what are we going to do next? Because it's up yeah. to us. It's totally up to us and we all have completely separate uh, professional and personal lives as yeah. we're all over the country. So that is something is th that I hope does keep from a performance aspect, keep going. Sure. So yeah, we have our. You do your own arrangements within the group. We we do, and we have other people that have written for us as uh -huh. well. So have yeah, you we, actually written any arrangements? I just I, I had written some uh, I'd written some silly stuff early on, but then just before ITG this year, we we had a we had a performance set up there, and one of the things that we use an awful lot, and we have a rec we've recorded, uh, we found out uh, several of the opening groups throughout the conference were going to be playing. We said, well, we can't do this. Oh, right. And, and you didn't want to duplicate anything. Right. It's, it's, we've done it before, and a lot of other college groups are doing it, which we like. It's getting sure. out there. Um, so the guy said, Joey, you know you've been talking about doing some more commercial stuff. You got anything? And so in the next two weeks, what I did is wrote, uh, it's an old uh, Tad Dameron tune called Good Bait, which uh, Dizzy's got a couple of recordings of that I love. And I thought, I think we could do this. So I wrote an arrangement for the six of us, which featured Scott Belk on the solo part. Sure. Uh, as, as he's a great jazz player. And I can play the bass line. But then I also want to make sure that I get some lead playing in there. So there's a little like soft shout after the improvised chorus, which I had the other four guys do, and I switched to be flat. Then I play lead over the second half of the shout chorus, hand it back off to Scott for the melody. So, and so what I did is wrote the whole arrangement in here, recorded all six parts, right. sent, sent it out to the guys and said, okay, here's the score, here's a recording, can we do this? Because I thought, I was thinking, I like this. I'm biased. I wonder if anybody else is going to, are they just going to be, and normally I have to say, we're really fast on text. Somebody, if you text something within a minute, you'll get some kind of response from one of us, <laughs> you know, around there. So I texted, check your email. I just sent something out. Two hours. So you're thinking, nothing. I'm this thinking, thing sucks. Right now they're texting right? each other going, how do we tell them <laughs> that this thing is terrible? Uh, and then, I, you know, people are teaching doing stuff. They're like, okay, sounds great. We'll do it. Okay, that sounds cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Which we did. So we, we ended up doing it. And I think we're planning on recording that. That's going to be on the recording in February Very cool. as well. But yeah, uh, certainly we've, I think most, most of the people in the group have done arrangements for us. Yeah. And then we have other people that have written for us as well. Yeah. I want to ask you about uh, somebody who I care a great deal about, uh, been a huge influence, uh, not only as a, as a musician, trumpet player, but as an educator, is Vince DiMartino. Sure. And I know he's, I, 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 wanna, know he, I want I you to say something. I list the people that I studied with, because that's who I went to college with. Yeah. But I met Vince when I was 15 years old. Yeah. Eastman used to have a six-week summer jazz camp, and I went there after my sophomore year of high school, so I'm a 15-year-old kid. And I show up there, <coughs> excuse me, actually with Al Hood. I think you know Al. Oh, well, yeah. Al and I were, the, that's where Al and I met. Yeah. Um, Vince was the trumpet teacher, and he was the jazz band director. So I go into my first lesson, and I'm a, you, know, you Did you know who he was? Nope. I didn't know anything. Surprise. Uh, I just heard that this camp was pretty cool, <laughs> and I should uh, apply. So yeah. I, you had to make a cassette recording to apply to the camp. A what? Exactly. <laughs> yes, I had to make a cassette right. recording right. to go. Oh, so that's great. we go, and. We audition, and so uh, first lesson, I go in, and Vince is like, okay, 
all right, you're doing okay. Now here's what we got to do. And, and just starts in. And I, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too cheesy about this, but literally changed the way I thought about yeah. my career as a trumpet player at 15 years old. Yeah. Because one of the things he did actually say to me during that summer, so we were playing something and he says, I want you to remember this. The day you graduate high school, then you're competing for gigs with people like, I don't know, me, and frankly, I'm still going to hire me <laughs> at this point, which I, it really did because at that time I'm in high school and I might be the best guy at my high school, Sure. which in your head means something. I'm first chair at my high school. I must be, that must mean something. But if no one else at your high school wants to be a musician, then that literally has no meaning. And that, Vince was the first person to open that part right. up. And also show me firsthand, here's where the level is. Like we're sitting there playing, and he would play, and I would think, oh, <laughs> I, I can't do that, and I certainly don't do that that well. Right. And I didn't even know that was a thing, you know. And so there, there it was, six weeks of, you know, trumpet lessons every week and jazz band every day, you know, getting that firsthand from Vince yeah. went, oh, wow. You know, not just the enthusiasm for trumpet and music, but for him, it's the desire to see everyone be their absolute best. Right. He made an in, he made an, a real investment in me when I was there to try and learn from him, and he yeah. was he was in. He was like he could see. Yeah. Well, he does with everybody. Yep. I, th I think this kid's interested. Yeah. All right, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give him as much as I got, yeah. and I try my best. To take that, like if I've got a kid in here, because sometimes, you know, I'll have students that show up here and they have some serious struggles they need to get through. Those are the ones that are the hardest. You know, yeah. I've had students that essentially show up every week and go, okay, so I worked all this stuff out, check this out. And they really are doing an amazing amount of great work on their own. And I'll say, okay, think of this, think of this. Oh, great. I'll be back next week. That's easy. Right. So the student comes in, hey, this is really hard, this is really hard, and I'm really trying. Okay, let's go. And I'm sweating at the end of those lessons. Yeah. But Vince, you know, you know, you know firsthand. That's, I, my that's first lesson with giving. him as a junior in high school. Yeah, I went in. He was at UK at the time, and at the end, I said, "Mr. DiMartino, what do I owe you?" And he said, "Well, as long as you practice, lessons are free." <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> I started to practice seriously. Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and of course, I had no clue, really, what I was in for at that point. You know, a, a lot of times you need those many years behind you to understand, oh my gosh, I studied with one of the true greats in the trumpet world. And you got him when you were really young. And, yeah. but the connections that we've been able to maintain have been great. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I, I do, I speak very highly of him because I feel like I owe him uh, a lot. And he's always been encouraging about anything I've wanted to try. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do it. You know, what's stopping you? you yeah. Know? Not that there are other players or teachers no, that haven't, he, no, but there's just something truly, very... He's somebody that I never studied with at a school, yeah. but is absolutely someone I list as one of my teachers. Yeah. I think he actually mentioned you in a positive light one time. That doesn't <laughs> sound right. That doesn't sound right. Of course he did. No, I'm yeah, kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, he's he's been great. And, you know, so I was out, uh, I, whenever I've been out on the road and run across him, there he is. Yeah. Know, and he's right there ready to go. Yeah. You know? So he just turned 70 this year. Right. That'd be about right. And uh, I thought, oh, my gosh, Doc just turned 91 this summer. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, who in the world? I never thought I'd be playing until I was 70. 
But could you imagine playing into your 90s? Um, well, I'm, I'm planning on it, frankly. Um, well, and, well I've told people yeah. I'm going to play taps at my own funeral. Now, that might be when I turn 53. <laughs> I might not make it even to 60. But, you know, that's kind of my sentiment, too, is yeah. I, I have no intent of, intention of no, I have, stopping No, I have this. friends that I won't name here that have said, oh, no, when I'm ready to retire, that's just I'm going to put the horn in the case and I'm going to be done with it. And they mean that, and, yeah. and that's perfectly okay, and they get to do that if they so choose. Yeah. I think I'm going to be the guy who's like, oh, my gosh, is he still playing those things? Oh, why, you know, is he still playing Clark Studies? He's 106. Yeah, I'm still playing Clark Studies in the morning. That's still going to happen. Um, used to be principal in Montreal, then went to Atlanta. Now he's at Eastman. Uh, Jim me. Thompson. Jim Thompson. Yeah. I heard him on a podcast uh, say why he left the Atlanta Symphony when he did. Mm-hmm. And people said, you, you still have so much great. He goes, I'd rather be accused of leaving too early than leaving too late. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I yeah. think, you know, not just on him, but I think, boy, there are a lot of players who, and I'll include myself in that, I hope when it's time that I don't embarrass myself. You know, I want to oh, make sure that yeah. I I've, I've been go out on a this. high note. Yeah, I've been watching uh, this. There's the right time to walk away. You know, or, or yeah. you know what, let's choose a different path. Yeah, I'll still be playing, Something but I don't think I'll be, you're right. The yeah. things I'll have to say no to here and there, if, yeah. st- if they still exist and people are still asking. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I mean, I just, you know, this year at ITG, I was lucky enough to stand on stage. In the rehearsal, I walked out on stage and Ryan said, no, Joey, come right here. And put me standing right next to Doc as we were going to start, which was kind of cool because Doc's 91. And, well, he still needs to be on the gig because he still sounds like exactly like Doc Severinsen. It's really kind of amazing. It is. You know. It's electric. Yeah. So I, I was at that concert, and to see this, this I don't know, 16, 18, 20 players yeah, on that finale. A, yeah, it was And a, a who's who, and a lot of up-and-comers, too. I mean, there's, uh, well, I mean, he's made a great name for himself uh, with Boston Brass, um, uh, Jose. With Jose. You know, well, and, Jose, and I mean, he's I, been out there for a long time. I get it. But, you know, you think, you look at Jose, and then you look at uh, even David Hickman or right. Phil Smith or... Yeah. Uh, or Doc. And Jose think, is much shorter than all of those guys. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Jose and I went to school together in Miami. Oh, no kidding. We, he was an undergrad when I was a grad student. We sat next to each other in, in the university orchestra at Miami. Yeah. Wow. So isn't that funny? Uh, you, you talk about uh, sitting down next to somebody who has the same experiences. I mean, but you do. You, you over, There's overlap. Yeah. There is overlap, absolutely. Because um, I'm going out next month. Boston Brass does uh, often, for the Christmas time, they expand and do a Kenton Christmas concert. So oh. they, they expand by five horns. Uh, and and, so I go and doesn't one of your, was E.J. Ramos a uh, former student of yours? No, he stayed with Ed while he was here. But he's on those gigs, isn't he? I think doesn't. He, he may have done some of them here and there. Yeah, I, I think, remember seeing something about him But this him year playing. they're doing two weeks and I'm going to go play. So I'm going to go yeah. join him. I've done a bunch of them over the past few yeah, years. You said those arrangements are just uh, They're so they're much fun. Yeah. Very cool. And some other arrangements in there as well. J.D. Shaw, who used to be with the group and yeah. now teaches horn at the uh, University of South Carolina. Yeah. <sighs> some powerful writing. It's really yeah. fun to play. Yeah, Joey, I don't want to. I don't want to stop the conversation because I've been having a blast. But we'll just have to say we'll leave it for another another time. Absolutely. Maybe pick it up. Um, thanks for everything you shared today. My pleasure. And uh, oh, my pleasure getting to sit here and and chat. Um, yeah, best wishes with everything here at IU. Best wishes uh, finding the right person to come in and and be a colleague here. Absolutely. Uh, Thank on, you. Yeah. On short term. And. Uh, Yeah, until next time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. 
I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you too can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio HFL. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.